We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to episode 226 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dane Hilton, and I am usually joined by Frances Tomas, but it is his birthday week, and I'm not going to tell you exactly how old he is, but if you add one Ansu Fati, one Pedri, and a few of Barca Champions League trophies, I think you're going to be around the number that Frances is. So we wish a very happy birthday, and that means that we have brought on Eric Vidal to, unfortunately, Eric, talk about bankruptcy and all the fun stuff that you were waiting to come on to talk about. I am so excited to talk about bankruptcy instead of Frances so he can enjoy his birthday. I will happily take this for our friend. Yeah, so again, happy birthday, feliz cumpleaños to Frances, but Eric and I unfortunately have to talk about a little bit of bankruptcy. And another question for the listeners, if you're wondering why this show is coming out even prior to Dinamo Kiev, so you might even have this in your ears after the Champions League match, but again, we don't know what happens, but I think regardless of what happens, the big idea of bankruptcy is still hanging over the club, and that's kind of the story of the week. So that's why we're doing our La Ronda, our listener questions now with that kind of thing. And where we start, as I said, we're going to talk about Sergio Busquets and some of the fun stuff that could be happening on the field and not so fun. Again, Busquets, maybe not a positive story, but the very negative story is about bankruptcy. So Abbas, Sean, Madtaha, they all asked about bankruptcy. And Ellie, with a little more detail on his questions, looks like Alfred Martinez has reported the club may have to declare bankruptcy as soon as Thursday if 190 million euros are not agreed upon between the management committee and the players' lawyers to bring down those salaries so that the club can get under that threshold. Now, he asked any Dan specific, or in this case, Eric specific details that we can get in on this. And apart from the obvious mega transfers, what are some of the things that it may have gotten the club into this stage? So, Eric, I'm going to let you go first and lay the groundwork as to, in your opinion, over a few years. And we know the big ones, obviously, the purchase of Griezmann and, I mean, more than anything else, letting the wage bill get out of control. Coutinho as well, we throw his name in there. But what do you think has all led to this moment that we're in right now where the club is saying, well, I mean, as Abba said, bankruptcy, seriously? 
Yeah, I think, uh, un- unfortunately, the club's transfer policy, in addition to the club probably um, riding a bit of a, a bit of a high since the 2015 treble season, you know, I think Barcelona has propped itself up in, in recent years, since Pep years, of believing that uh, this the kind of top three always in the treble conversation is the kind of normal for the club these days. So I think a lot of their financial decisions were under the assumption that this will always be true and the club will never really be in turmoil. We'll have Messi, we'll have our, our cash generators, we'll have a, a steady revenue flow and we can and we can navigate whatever storm comes because Barcelona is what Barcelona is. So with that becomes, you know, a, a very aggressive posture in our in our transfer market comes very lofty ambitions when it comes to renovating the club. But when a, when a club operates like this, you wind up having to take out loans and find creative ways to finance some of your more expensive, ambitious goals, I guess you would say. So things like how, how are we financing the new Camp Nou? How, I forget which transfer it was, but in the last transfer window, we, we took out a loan for a player against the bank. That There's a giant red flag. No, that was Eugenio um, Dest. So, yeah, that was Dest. We're going to be paying Ajax 5 million euros over a course of numerous seasons. Yeah, so... So, you know, being in a position where where the club is leveraged primarily by its financial standing with with a bank, uh, I think I think Goldman Sachs was the one who did the the big deal for the new Camp Nou. Uh, obviously, you have to find financing for that. But but when you're even up against player salaries being being put up against the, the bank that uh, that puts the club in a really tough spot. So I think I think the club had these very ambitious goals of, of what they were going to be able to do and project into the future. And they were all very dependent on the ship staying afloat and the ship running its course. And I think when you look at the Galactico signings uh, era that we that we're, I guess, still currently in, you really see this club that that believes that it's going to get back to its old form and that the bad form is just temporary. That And I think this is partly Bartomeu's hubris, believing that the problem is not him uh, himself and not wanting to take that accountability. And I think that that really when you believe that everything that's going wrong with the club is not a product of yourself, but is a product of the things going on around you, you have no reason to question your assumptions. And so you keep spending and you keep making these decisions to prop yourself up and 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 not rock the boat and believe that things will right themselves when you just make a couple more purchases, when you just make a couple more moves. And I think when when things get hard and when you really have to stop and look at, you know, the, how well those things fared when when the waters get rough, you really start to see the the cracks and you really start to see where you're letting on water. And I mean, we saw this in the most extreme sense. I don't think I ever personally expected to see this with, you know, Messi throwing down the gauntlet. But when you have something as ground shaking as as Messi leaving the club and or threatening to leave the club and you have, um, you know, this three consecutive humiliating Champions League defeats and and players don't want to come sign for Barcelona with the same enthusiasm that they used to. Uh, your ability to bring in uh, attractive players and turn those player signings into wins diminishes as the quality of player that you bring in lessens. As you know, you have un- uncertainty with Messi, and um, and I think that 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 paired with the COVID nineteen pandemic, where it full, fully stopped revenues in certain channels for the for the club, paints this or created this scenario where the club uh, is no longer a- able to uh, extend this long-term strategy where it can 
can talk about the future and it can talk about the signings it's going to have and how those signings are going to generate more Champions League revenue and more ticket sales. And now they're, their feet are against the fire and they're in, they're in dire straits. So to kind of place the, to, to, to lay that, that place setting for us, that, uh, that, that's currently my understanding of it. And I think that's, that's kind of how the club, how the club got here. And that's, what's interesting too, about, we talk about the Champions League payout and the Champions League money that even against Liverpool, where we remember that as some big losses, it might even be a loss of revenue, but Barcelona made the semifinal. So they're getting all of the funds or all of the, we'll say the winning earnings that you get by making that stage of the Champions League. And they're a team that even in losing, even though they haven't won since 2015, consistently getting to the quarterfinal and semifinal of the Champions League and winning La Liga's as well. So all of the money that comes from winning La Liga, that has also been pocketed in these last two seasons. Copa del Rey, the same. Remember, the club was all on a streak of, what, five or six straight Copa del Rey's, but that kind of money still was not moving the needle when you're talking about, as you mentioned, uh, Eric, the fact that to get players to sign for Barcelona, they had lost all of their negotiation leverage. That's the word I want. They lost all their leverage in these negotiations where they were, and I think too, it's about keeping up with the Joneses. I do want to mention that as well, where when you have Man City and PSG entering the chat, if you will, about uh, Frankie de Jong, and now you have Barcelona who just, I mean, they're owned by the members. They're not owned by an ownership group as as Man City and PSG are very, very wealthy ownership groups, or even a Chelsea who's owned by a very, very wealthy owner, where because Barcelona is, it is merely run by a president who, yes, the board have their financial assets tied to the club. That's how you get into that presidency, but it's still owned by the members. And so that's a really important point here. And I think that's what goes to what happens with the club and what happens if bankruptcy winds up being the only option. That's where we get to the next part of this, where Looking at the statutes, it's article. Okay, now for anyone, if you want to take a quick nap, it's going to give me about two minutes, then wake back up, we'll be fine here. So article 82, 83, 84, 85, 86. Those are the ones in the statutes that talk about the extinction of the club, the dissolution of the club by the club members, the, a merger or an absorption by another entity. The 85 is a transformation of the club into potentially a public limited company or an LLC. And then 86, the liquidation, this is worst case scenario, the liquidation of the club, meaning the club would then have to sell off its assets. Now, all of those articles do require either majority or two thirds or three quarters of the delegate members of a general assembly voting for that to happen. So I'm going to hand it over to Eric back in a second, because basically, Eric, what I'm asking now from you is where that gets complicated is that. I think members are right to ask what will fall on us if it does. But Goldman Sachs also plays in the loan. There also plays in this uh, a role in this. What we don't know about how much Bartomeu and his group would have to foot the bill on that debt is also a part of that equation. But it does come to the question where is it possible that the club is going to look like itself even in a week's time if they were to have to declare bankruptcy? And what would that look for the club moving forward? I, I think in the in the more recent term or, or in the in the short term what you would see is that the club would look relatively similar to to what it looks like today you're not uh, immediate immediate changes i don't think would be incredibly drastic i think you would see um obviously the the player salaries are a huge huge part of this they're they're one of the most costly parts of the club's entire um cost structure from you know all all of its uh, subsidiary teams to 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 the stadium and and you know merchandising costs the the 
the cost of the players is is an exorbitant amount of uh of expense that the club has to bear so first and foremost is going to be the club is going to if the club has to declare any sort of bankruptcy the bank is going to the bank probably goldman sachs in this case is going to have to take a long look at the valuation of its assets and it's going to look to offload the most critically urgent assets that the club faces the worst losses of first um so in, in this you're not you're not looking at things like the feminine team or the hockey team or you know any of the kind of secondary tertiary you know la masia the 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 club the smaller teams that make up the fabric of the club are probably not going to be going to be changed or maybe they would suspend operations temporarily i think you would see suspension of certain uh expenditures in the short term that would probably be a knee-jerk reaction you'd see a pause of spending while they kind of rein in the more large fires that need to be put out to stabilize the club uh, and unfortunately those are going to be player assets so I think what you would probably end up with is a situation where, you know, maybe play was suspended for certain or operations are suspended in different segments of the club. And then in January, you would probably be looking at at a very large player sale to get rid of as many of those expensive salaries that the club is saddled with right now. That's probably the short term. And then, and then in the long term, I think you're looking at there. Massive questions of, around the viability of the new Camp New. I think you'd be looking at, you know, basically no involvement in the transfer window for for several transfer windows to come, depending on how the club gets itself out of this mess. But um, I, I, so I think I think really you'd be looking at a, a short term disruption of of play, uh, a long term disruption in how much how involved we can be in our in the in the transfer market and what we can really do with our player salaries which would also probably mean the writing would be on the wall for Messi to leave at uh probably in January probably not wait for the end of the season that would that would be another alarming outcome out of this so Eric before yeah. we started talking you said that you didn't really have any bombs to drop but the idea that Messi could be leaving as soon as January and it doesn't matter who is elected president or what he would even want to stay but because of his salary and because of what all of Messi uh, what all that means financially for the club. Well, I think I'm going to try to put that together while we're on our ad break, and then we'll finish off this point and talk a little bit more about things, I guess, that are, are a little more digestible. We'll talk about things on the field after this break. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. 
BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And Charlie Barsa, friend of the pod, did also kind of bring up that idea that you briefly talked about, that how much of the club could be sold off. And that's not just the playing staff on the first team. And we're talking about all the little stuff that goes on, whether it's the uh, different projects that the club is working on, even different outreach, where here in the United States, you have the Barca, and not in the U.S., but Canada, in, in, in India, in China, in the U.S., where you have the Barca academies or, again, different outreach programs and spreading the brand of FC Barcelona throughout the world. There would certainly be a repeal of a bunch of those things. But uh, as I kind of had said before, and you alluded to this, that if the Femini are to be discontinued, we'll say, for a long time, or if the the Barca basketball team, or obviously they're currently, it seems like they're still courting Marc Gasol, but that would obviously probably be a dead transfer and all those kind of things. And then you also look at the naming rights of the Camp No, even though a new president would not have wanted to have his hand forced to do that, it seems like that would have to happen pretty, pretty quickly, as Tara Shuk in the listener group did note. So those are the little different things. And I find that, as you mentioned, it is very cynical because of how much salary and wages exist in the first team that if you got rid of the Femini, which their entire operating costs, if, if I'm not mistaken, are like seven or eight times, or rather Griezmann's contract or salary is seven or eight times what the Femini operating costs are. So you'd really be asking big questions there as to how cynical it would be to where they'd have to cut around the margins. Tusquets even came out today and said that they might, in the short term, have to get rid of or get rid of the salaries or at least furlough some of the employees and suppliers and the workers. And that's always a sad thing to see. The one thing I will add at the end of this is too that it says in the statute something about potentially getting a little bit of a bailout from some of that debt from the Secretary General for Sport of the Government of Catalonia. But because the government of Catalonia also does get a lot of revenue of their revenue and a large portion of it from tourism and the connections to FC Barcelona in tourism also pretty significant as well. You'd have to kind of say that you can't expect the government of Catalonia who are suffering as well from COVID. And, you know, Bartomeu said COVID, COVID, COVID a lot. And we know what he meant. But as you mentioned, and I think where we leave it is that I think we all knew this club was in a lot of financial trouble prior to COVID. But COVID was the final nail in the coffin to really take us into not even code red, but potential bankruptcy, which is not code red. That's not worry. That's actual action. That's actually something that happens. So I think we're going to move on here. Eric, you have anything more on that point? I think the, the only thing that I would say about the kind of the, the additional teams, the, the Femini project, the different Barcelona academies that they're going throughout the world, you know, the Peñas projects, all, all of that, is that you, you probably would see a suspension. But when you look, you, you know, just to curb spending for, for some short, you know, recovery period of time. But I think really the, the important thing to, to know there is keep all of these expenditures in perspective, that the percent of the overall expense on the club for the women's project for any of these other teams is it is material, but compared to other expenses that are going to be a much higher risk to the club, they they are not very material. And so those those probably would just see some pause or some delay rather than actually seeing a full cancellation. So you would hope that whatever happens there would just be temporary, especially for the women's team that's really shown themselves to be an 
incredibly promising project for our club's future. And I, I personally, that, that, that and La Masia would probably be the two that I would, um, that I would really hope that the club takes exceptional care of no matter what um, its financial situation is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that feminine point. I've been really excited to see the progress that's been put in. And I know whether the people have opinions on whether or not they're going to watch him, but the leaps and bounds that they have grown and, and women's football in particular in on the European scene is just jumping ahead leaps and bounds over the last two, three, four, five seasons. It's not just going to be Wolfsburg and Lyon very, very shortly in the near future. And I hope Barca winds up being able to join that. Well, speaking of European success, though, and the future of European clubs, obviously the FC Barcelona first team, the men's version, it looks like they are dealing with uh, a, a difficult way of changing what was old and what is new. And I even wrote for the website today, we saw the only news of today was Sergino Des Cadre de la Fuente named to the U.S. men's national team. And I kind of did provoke the question, and we're going to talk about Busquets here, because I did kind of ask the question as to this youth project that we're seeing from Komen. You cannot deny that Komen is playing his kids. He is playing, well, yes, Fati deserves to be there, but he is playing Pedri. He's getting a full run out. He's playing Dest. You're seeing Trincao. And you are seeing young players get significant minutes for the club. I know people, and I had a YouTube video about this yesterday, about Ricky Pouge. Why is he not playing? Good question. It has a lot to do with formation. It has a lot to do with who he is. And we've and Francis and I have also gotten into Pouge before. But my question is, if especially if Barca B or the third division, because COVID cases are rising in Spain, if the Barca B and the third division, let's say that season is completely suspended, and now you have a bunch of 19 to 21-year-olds kind of just sitting around and training, if what we've seen even in two or three games from Arno Kamas so far, the center back with Barca B that's been promising or whatever, there's no reason why Komen won't have to be pushed kind of the, to force them in it. And I've said on this podcast before, even last week, that, you know, for Komen, he's playing his vets like PK, like Busquets, and he's not getting results, right? If he had played the kids from the start, which he's been doing too, but if he had just gone all youth, let's say he did that, where Busquets is, is always a sub, PK is always a sub, and it's Lingley and Araujo to start, or Roberto and Alba, one, they never start together, and Des is always a starter, and or Firpo is a starter for Alba, and he'd just gone completely full-blown youth, whatever, whatever have you. You can't tell me that that team would also not be in 12th place at the moment. And so the questions that we get from Nil Raj and Antonio, then let you handle Eric, is that is it time for PK and Busquets to be dropped out of the starting 11 and be placed by Araujo when he gets healthy? And Pjanic, who's, again, not a <laughs> he's not a youthful player. He's not a spring chicken. He's over the age of 32. But Antonio also asked, with the decline of Busquets' performance and bad errors, should Komen leave Busquets on the bench? So where do you stand on Busquets? I think where we stand with them is, or, or with Busquets is, I don't think he deserves to be a starting a starting eleven player. However, I think Busquets is still a great footballer, and I think Busquets's best value that he offers to us is coming in with a fresh pair of legs and his experience playing. Honestly, I, I, I said it to people in in my opinion the in the last match. I I don't think that Busquets is more than a than a one-half player right now. I think Busquets has legs for about 30 minutes, you know, 45 if it's a good day, if you've given him a lot of rest and the game plan's working for him. But I don't think you can rely on him for being much more than than about a half worth of of good play on, unfortunately, I think a good day these days. And I think uh, I think that just kind of is his position. And I think that I think that Komen should manage Busquets accordingly. And it doesn't have to be always off of the starting 11. Maybe there's occasions where it makes sense for him to be in a starting 11, but Busquets needs his minutes limited. And, and I think it is very clear 
that there's a decline on the pitch when Busquets is, I guess, a, a little, a little bit long in the in the legs when 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 the legs get heavy and when the when he's been on the pitch a little bit longer than he should have. I think if Komen can prevent Busquets getting in those types of situations, we can see a reduction in the errors that that Busquets puts out every game. But I think uh, I think it takes a lot of courage and it, and it's very difficult to take a you know a, somebody who's a, a legend like Busquets is and and to take him off the pitch and in favor of young inexperience as good as their games may be i hope he does it more i think there's a lot of really interesting double pivot combinations that Komen could use and i i personally hope he just uses them a lot more and takes busquets off a lot earlier yeah and the interesting point about busquets is now you can't really say when a player is going to break down because some players can play till they're 40 some players are done by 27 28 and you do see a lot of of the players that wound up getting a lot of burn early on in the career. And I mean, one of my fears long-term for Fati and Pedri is that at 17, if you're getting the run out of first team football that these two are getting a lot of times, I mean, Michael Owen is probably the best example and he did have some injury, bad luck, but I always think of Michael Owen where, I mean, he was on the top of the world at 21, 22, 23 and Kylian Mbappe is another one to see where he is a kid who was 17, 18, 19, and he's already winning the world cup. And his whole game is built on speed. So don't be surprised when he's 28 and he's already played all these first team minutes and loses a step. He winds up kind of, you know, the legend dies very quickly. Busquets is different because that's never really been his game. I also believe, if I'm not mistaken, he broke into the first team at, I think it was 20 or 21. So more of a reasonable mark than being a 17, 18 year old when you break into the first team. But all that said, as you mentioned, against Juventus, that was the one time when he came on the second half that you could say that I think his performance this year was excellent because look at the pace of that game. The, the pace of that game was just slow and plodding and because Barca were also nursing a lead at the moment, which if you think of it this way, and I think that is the perfect goal for Busquets, where Barca, if they do put the ball in the net, which they have created enough chances to, and takes them 6.1 chances to score a goal, which is pretty absurd. I mean, even... Today it was what Bayern Munich in the Champions League. They scored six times on like eight shots on target or something. So for Barcelona, eventually the goal should come. And that means that a lot of times you're going to expect that FC Barcelona should be up in games. And that is the perfect time for Busquets when the other team is trying to attack the game and go for the game. And Barca are merely trying to control and control the pace of a game and not let it get out of their hands. Because if you start Busquets in that first minute and that game winds up being an open game or gets out of hand or the other team wants to counterattack early on when they're fresh, it can lead to what we've seen from Busquets where he just isn't in the right spots anymore where he used to be. And the other thing I, I wonder is that somebody brought up Busquets has played a 4-3-3 his whole career. He's always been the base. He redefined the position. He's one of the greatest defensive midfielders ever, and he's still only 32. I don't know necessarily if it isn't just the double pivot. I think it's a combination of he cannot operate alone in that double pivot, but also, and this is kind of leading to Messi, where because you don't have the pressure up top that Barcelona used to, you just don't have that pressure, and then you also don't have the defensive experience on the wings in Fatih or Dembele. You don't have the experience of a Henri or Villa, guys who were full professionals when they were pressing in the way that we saw the best of Busquets when he was a younger player. So you're just not getting the same team in front of him that was there even when he was at the base at a 4-3-3. So I actually think that playing a 4-3-3 with Busquets as that base still would be even a worse case scenario for him than playing that double pivot where he has a bit more protection because we actually saw with Pjanic so far what that double pivot is supposed to look like. And again, it was against Juventus, but between De Jong and Pjanic, they stayed 
as I mentioned on last week's show, between 10 and 15 yards from one another, and Pjanic was stepping with De Jong, as opposed to where Busquets, he winds up being a step or two away. And when you talk about the chemistry, I don't think De Jong and Busquets have figured out each other's movements. I don't think they've figured out where they each stand, even defensively. Where you look, go back and watch the tape, Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta— they were always, you could draw lines defensively, not even offensively in their triangles. You could draw the lines from where they set up to break off those cutting lanes and those passes. And I thought, I mean, for those three, they they showed you how well it could be done for guys that, you know, between Busquets, Xavi, and Yesta, you have zero destroyers. You have zero prototypical tackler players that are good at tackling. And I think for Busquets, De Young doesn't work with him in a double pivot. And Pianis doesn't work with him in a double pivot because... And I think this is a big issue about Barcelona's midfield at the moment. And I'm just talking about the double pivot between Busquets, Pjanic, De Jong, Puj, Alenia, and I don't, uh, Mateus Fernandez, here we go trailing off, that none of those players, maybe uh, Mateus Fernandez, none of those players are the destroyer type that's supposed to go with the pace setting facilitator that all of those players are. So basically you have a double pivot where every single player on the roster for that position is a similar player. And then the other spot, which has kind of a different job, you don't have a single one to fill that role. And I think that is kind of what's led to the problem. Vidal was that player, but as we saw, Vidal also wasn't that player because he was 32, 33 years old, and he didn't have the legs. You really do need a younger, just destroyer type to fit in next to Busquets and De Young and Pjanic to get the best out of it. And at the moment, the best option you have is Pjanic and De Young, who both do about 60% of that job. And I think a lot of that also comes down to like the 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 quality of those players and the way that Komen is using the squad right now, where you see that when Komen makes a change that has his fingerprints all over it, it's not, you know, it's not our regular squad of vets. When you look at the types of substitutions Komen makes, when you look at the types of players that Komen brought in and how they've panned out for us in his system, it's a lot of pace. It's a lot of physicality. These are, these are players that he's bringing in that, that can come and be real game changers. They can they can come in and they can, you know, I don't want to say change the pace because I already used that in my description, but that really is what they're doing. They're coming in, they're changing the pace of the game, they're speeding things up, and they're changing momentum in favor of Barcelona in a way that Barcelona hasn't been able to do that in the last several seasons. And I think that that personnel group is part of what makes Busquets', Busquets comparison look so stark and so unfavorable to him is that when you're surrounded in a midfield of younger players, faster players, or players that the coach handpicked, or you know some combination of the coach and the board picked to bring in this new spark to Barcelona and to bring in this rejuvenated life to Barcelona, Busquets and his slower, more methodical, um, very cerebral, like tiki-taka kind of philosophy that I think, you know, me personally, that I think of when I think of Busquets, that in, invisible hand that kind of guides the midfield uh, with, with Iniesta and, and Xavi, those, that type of player doesn't really fit in the system that not just the system, but also the personnel group that Komen has built with this team. And I think that that is really what hurts Busquets is trying to make him fit into that. And I think surrounding him with those young players just makes him more and more out of sorts. So if you need to bring a Busquets in and you need to keep Busquets on the roster or you want to keep Busquets on the roster, you need to play to Busquets' strengths, and Busquets' strengths are not the same strengths as Frankie de Jong and and Pjanic and you know Elena and the, and the rest of the guys that were cycling through there in the midfield. Busquets needs to know what his strengths are. The coach needs to know what his strengths are, and they need to play him to that. 
otherwise he's going to get lapped all day. He's going to be pushed into situations that he's not making the clear decision that he wants to make, which is going to lead to more errors from Busquets that that maybe historically have not been characteristic of him, but are becoming more characteristic. And I think the only way to really improve Busquets is to utilize him in a way that that suits his his traits for where he sits among all of his peers in the squad. Otherwise, asking him to fill a another player's position that when the team is clicking is a fast-paced, forward-moving player that you know is dynamic the way that Komen wants him to be. Busquets just isn't going to fill that position, and he's going to look bad all day. But if you can slow the game down, or if you want to set a particular type of control over the ball early, depending on what the opponent is, and Busquets fits that that role, then then use Busquets and get the best out of Busquets because he still is a world-class player. He's a Barcelona legend, but he is not a world-class player the way that we're using him, and that is an incredible shame. Well, yeah, I mean, and he has kind of been a microcosm of what's been happening under Komen, where we are seeing, if you think about the way the team played against uh, under Valverde and under Setien, you could say that there has been there's been progress, but it looks different than we would have expected. So Emmanuel does ask, do you think that the club has made progress on the field of play under Komen? And I think how we're defining progress is a big one, because as I've mentioned, as far as playing the youth and setting this team up for the future, I think Komen has already hit all those boxes and will continue to hit those boxes by trusting in youth and putting them in, in situations to succeed. However, I don't know if the team is playing any better than they did in the past when they were winning the Liga and when they weren't 12th in the table. Now, again, it's early and they have a game in hand. But Eric, do you think that the team has made progress on the field of play? In in look and in visual style? Sure, absolutely. The team looks younger, looks looks a little bit faster. You know, we move the ball in a more attractive way. A- absolutely. We've made some progress there. But I think it is important to put back into perspective there are not that many changes that we've fundamentally made to the squad since the 8-2 humiliation. We are still predominantly that same group of players. We're predominantly that same team. Things have changed incrementally, and a lot of them are promising, but Barcelona still is that team. And until Barcelona can put together a cohesive, clear game plan that uses all of its substitutions and, and plays its players in their best positions, Barcelona's not going to make the types of strides that we need it to make to win trophies. So are we moving the needle? Sure. Is it what we all want to win trophies? And is it enough in such a short period of time? I, I think the jury's still out on that. Yeah, I would agree with that. We're going to go actually back in time now. Patreon Ayan asked, what is the comparison between Laporta's time at the club versus the Roselle Bartomeu? regime. And uh, Ion, the one thing I will say, though, is there are comparisons and there are differences between the two. Obviously, the winning that happened on the field in Laporta's time is a little bit different than the one that Roselle and Bartomeu did inherit. But in the same way, it kind of isn't because uh, under Roselle, the team won the Champions League in 2011, playing some of the best football ever. And then under Bartomeu, obviously, they win in 2014. I mean, 2015, they win the treble. But for Laporta, there was also the financial issues there as well, where he did almost get a vote of no confidence against him because the socios were worried about the the financial standing of the club even back then. And under Roselle and Bartomeu, certainly uh, we've gone over the last few weeks what has led to their legacy, whether it was Neymar, both coming and leaving, has defined Roselle and Bartomeu, I think, almost more than anything else. In hindsight, 
that their legacies are wrapped up in Neymar, who is, for all intents and purposes, a Galactico. And for Laporta, he was very fortunate to get the rise of Messi and Busquets and the decision to hire Guardiola. And he also had uh, the voice of Cruyff in his ear in a way that Roselle and Bartomeu don't. And I think a lot of times we do deify Cruyff. I know this isn't really answering Ion's question, but I know we do, we do deify Cruyff a bit to certain degrees. But if you talk about almost anyone in world football, we do it for good reason because he changed football. He changed the way we should be thinking about it. And it's so odd to say that the ideas of Cruyff and reading Cruyff, sometimes it seems to me were better than actually speaking him, uh, speaking with him or working with him because a lot of the people that, that actually personally work with him, a lot of the times it didn't end too well just because of the, the man that he was, but the ideas that he had were what was so revolutionary. And Laporta found a way to hear those ideas and to understand the way that the man should be connected to the club, uh, again, while taking heed to those ideas. And uh, Roselle and Bartomeu, not to make this all about the fact that Bar- that Barcelona is now so connected to, to Cruyffian ideals, but they're, the way that they kind of distance themselves from it, from it, I think, is very telling of the fundamental differences, at least from a philosophical perspective, we're not talking about the actual politics of it, or the business side of things, but just how the club is perceived is certainly the, again, the way that some of the legends, even uh, Carlos Puyol, when he left the club, those are the kind of relationships that I think define their legacy in hindsight. Uh, while it was happening, it was hard to see, but those things, again, do add up. Even the way that Victor Valdez was handled, uh, this is such a tiny, tiny, minute example, but Victor Valdez takes charge of the U19s. He probably wasn't a very good coach for them, or he wasn't the right man for that situation. One of the most promising players there, E.S. Mariba, he immediately falls out with him after about two or three days. So the writing was on the wall for Valdez, sure, but the way that Valdez was handled as a person, as a legend coming back, it certainly seems like there were, as they say, there were no adults in that room, it seemed like, between Valdez and Bartomeu and all the ones who were making those decisions. So... For me, that's the, I say, the brief comparison between the two. But Eric, do you have anything that you think I would have missed? No, I, I would just add that, you know, Rossell had, uh, or I guess Laporta, uh, had, had the advantage of having having Cruyff alive and, and very involved in the club at that time. And one of one of maybe the smartest decisions that he made was to, was to choose to listen to Cruyff and to choose to lean into that philosophy and, and really kind of, grow that that Cruyff influence on the on the club even even more and let it be the the footprint of that generation I think I think he certainly facilitated that and I think I I think that kind of uh maybe gets lost to history a little bit because we focus so much on those on those presidents and and not quite enough about the the people that are around them and you know uh Cruyff certainly was a very active participant back in in Laporta's days I got a quick one for you from Deb do you think Brothwaite, well, I'm going to change it a little bit, but do you think Brothwaite should be experimented as a number nine? Not even against the bigger teams, but do you think he should be given maybe a start or two to see what it looks like when Barca are actually using a regular number nine? Yeah, that, we're not we're not winning games right now. Absolutely. You need to, you have a personnel group. You need to, you need to play to your strengths. And, you know, I think, I, I think we underutilize our subs right now. I think we have plenty of opportunities to try different, different personnel sets and and see what we can get results wise um you know not uh, i guess now we're in a position where every game's a must win but every game's a must win because what we were trying wasn't working so 
you've, you've got a player that you're paying to be on your team, you, you better find a way to use him. And it's either going to be as a sub or a starter or, you know, otherwise, what, what are you keeping him around for? We need to we need to use the players we're paying for. Yeah, and it was very telling to me that against Alaves, that was basically sans Coutinho, the Gala 11, where it was the most experienced, it was the holdovers, it was the team you'd expect to, we'll say, be the the most solid because they had the most experience. But against Alaves in the first half, we saw what happened, and it led to three halftime changes. So, yeah, I agree with you. And I think and I think going back to a, a point from earlier, I think that that is the club being the same club that it was from pre-Komen, right? Like, we still... When, when our backs are up against the wall, when it's a must-win game, when it's a game that like Barcelona really want to make a statement about, they do it with their vets. And you know, we, we still, at times that we as fans don't fully understand, see the team just le- lean on its, best and, on its vets instead of bringing somebody in like Braithwaite that could have um, been a great option against a team like that. Sure. Uh, we also got a lot of questions today about Messi, but just due to time, then there's a, uh, we're, I promise that we're going to talk about Lionel Messi on the Barcelona podcast in the future. I think there's a, <laughs> there's a guarantee to that. So Frances will be back on to talk about that. And a uh, final point too, about the, the Brothway thing, it, it does affect Griezmann, of course. And Frances has given his thoughts many, many times on this show about why Griezmann does get to start and why you have to give him as many opportunities as possible. And it does come down to his price tag for Frances, but we are going to end the show instead of talking about Messi. Uh, maybe we'll talk, maybe it does involve Messi a bit because Eric does ask if we view this as a transition year, what sort of expectations should we have on the field? What would be more important results or experience for the young players? And I, I, or Eric, I already had said for this one that for me, I think that the experience for the young players might be equal to results at the moment when we watch our vets struggle as much as they have been. Yeah. I think, I think to me for, for a transitional year, um, it, it really comes down to your priorities, right? What do you want? What do you want the club to look like on the other side? Um, so, you know, whatever whatever vets you think are valuable, you you want to see them continue to uh, grow into what the new look club is going to be. You want plenty of experience for the people that are going to be here when it's over. So if those are going to be the young kids that we're going to lean into, you hope to see them get a lot of playing time. And you just want to see the team be competitive. If we're going to be in a transition year, lean into the right things and go as far as you can. But but make us believe along the way. Don't if it, if every step is a struggle and we end up with no trophies, it doesn't feel like we made progress. Or, and if the progress is very hard to see, then in a club that is owned by the fans, that is not a winning season. So if you're going to lose and you're not going to win trophies, there needs to be something to show for it still, especially if we're going to label this as a transitional season. And that's I think that's probably what I'm what I'm looking for is if we're not going to win, I can accept that. But but show me what you did, because if if winning, if we did something at the expense of winning, I, w- I want to see it and I want to see the fruits of that. And I don't want to be told, you know, it's just a it's just a lost year. We did our best, I guess. And you didn't really see it on the pitch, but we're going to tell you we did our best. But show us. Show us every game and fight and be competitive until the end in all the competitions you're in. And if you do that and you come up short because you gave youth experience and because you tried new rotations and you were managing your personnel group differently and the club's going through elections and, you know, we're, we're struggling to find our external identity, but the, but the club is moving in the right direction. Then, then we can take whatever number of results we get or don't get, but, but the club needs to move forward. And, and I think that, that more than, uh, more than any trophy is what, what should be foremost in the heart of every Poulet is where the trophies are great. 
and the trophies are what we all expect out of the club. But in the end, it's you're either, you know, for the kind of business Barcelona needs to win trophies and stay competitive in Champions League, or it's the Mesquim Club and you want the the romantic part of what Barcelona is in all of our hearts. And so I think we all hope that the club is successful, but at the end, we want the club that is the club that we all love to be there. And so I think that's part of um, that's part of the identity crisis the club has today. And I hope that if it's a transition season, we end up we end up closer to who we are as a club than we have been in the last couple seasons. Uh, Eric, I think that was beautifully said. I don't really want to muddy, muddy the waters by adding anything. So I just want to thank you for coming on again. You can find Eric. He is with the LA Pena, that is Los Angeles Pena. So find them online and get connected if you live in the LA area. And if you don't live in the LA area, well, get connected to your local Pena because a lot of them are still having communications and whether it's Zoom or watching the games together in groups. Some have, some have been doing socially distanced, but most are still doing uh, via Zoom and links and just video together and just being together and still watching the games as groups in any way that we possibly can. So uh, plenty of thanks, not only for coming on the show, but Eric, for all of your efforts and all the efforts of all the people involved in Peñas who are doing all that work to sustain the Barcelona community, even if it is online in this time. Yeah, thank, uh, thank, you, for, thank you for having me on. And, and uh, you know, I, I hope that... Uh, I hope that we're all kind of back together and enjoying football, football soon. But, you know, in the meantime, like like you said, Dan, connecting with your local Pena, connecting with other Barcelona fans is is the best way to to get through this hard uh, Barcelona season, this hard year. You know, those, those Zooms that we do every week in our Pena are are really rewarding to to just all see each other, talk to each other, feel like you got that bit of normalcy. And, you know, we, we talk every week whether or not we get any juicy Barcelona news or not. Sometimes you retread the same topics again and again, but you talk about Barcelona in a way that gives you hope for the future. So that, um, that, you know, that, that's definitely what we try to do. And we meet some games we meet, we don't meet for others. We, we do our best based on the real situation and every Pena has that going on. So connect with your friends, you know, make some new friends, go visit somebody's zoom, have a good chat with some fellow culés. You know, all, all the Pena's around the world are, are really fantastic to be a part of and to get to know. So I encourage your viewers to keep doing that. And thank you, Dan, for your support of the Peñas movement. We all we all appreciate having you guys around. Of course. Yeah, thank you for joining the show, Eric. And thanks, our listeners, to tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. Find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions, all that. You can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube where there's a lot of specialty content over there on the YouTube channel, The Barcelona Podcast. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for tuning in to The Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.